0: hey everybody brad stevens here founder and ceo of outsource access we help companies redefine how they scale with offshore affordable staff from the philippines congrats to all fellow winners of the 2023 real leaders impact awards we are proud to be among you about 10 years ago i woke up to a major growth problem in my last business cash was tight staff was overwhelmed and tasks were not getting done then i discovered the world of offshore virtual staff in the philippines where english is their second language so there is no communication or culture gap I realized outsourcing wasn't just call centers, it was access to college-educated Filipinos to support sales, marketing, operations, customer service, bookkeeping, personal tasks, and more. And in fact, the first woman I hired in the Philippines at 23 is now an award-winning COO of our entire company. It inspired me to launch Outsource Access. One client and YPO member, Ali Jamal, shared their offshore virtual staff Edison automated processes and saved them over 50,000 per year in the first few weeks. It's about finally getting things done and staff focusing on higher value activities. We've grown by over 2,000% in just three and a half years and will double next year. To receive a complimentary outsourcing playbook customized for your industry and to connect with one of our team here at Outsource Access, just visit redefinescale.com. That's redefinescale.com or text the word SCALE to 770-954-8440. Two months after hiring my first staff, She sent me a picture of shoes she bought for low-income children because of the opportunity and now we support thousands of families and the environment with united nations sdg projects i'm proud we've grown with impact to learn more visit redefinescale.com boom what up hello bonjour and hola
1: real leaders this is kevin edwards your host here and i am so excited you're tuning in to one of our amazing experiences what you're about to hear is going to be fresh, real, and loaded with inspiration guaranteed to support your impact journey. So sit back, enjoy the listen, folks share a review afterward, and always keep it real. And welcome everyone to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Joining us today, folks, we have Raed Masri and Rama Shikaki, the partners transform bc Riad Rama. thanks to be on the show today thanks for having us Thank Thank you. You. fantastic so ride you, you kind of threw um, a few things at me before the show in terms of how you're positioning your the, the, the company in terms of trying to meet right in the middle between the impact space between a lot of the, the big tech that's out in the world you see a big opportunity right in the middle before we go into all that good stuff, would you bring our audience in and share a little bit more about the origins of Transform VC, a little bit about your background, how the company launched, and what
2: you're to today? Absolutely. Um, well, I'm a veteran of what was once called Silicon Valley North, the nickname we gave to Ottawa, Canada's capital. Uh, we had Nortel and Corel and Mitel and Cognos and Newbridge and all these multi-10 billion dollar public companies, none of which exist today. So I learned the important lesson that when the market correction happens, all these Silicon Valleys around the world contract or disappear, but the real Silicon Valley remains standing. So despite all that, I had a few uh, interesting um, experiences. I had uh, five startups with three failures and 220X outcomes. And uh, and of course, uh, guilty like most Canadians, I sold my last company to you guys, the Americans. So that was my segue to America. But I learned really two important lessons. One, as much as I love Canada, it's home, and most of what I am is a product of that ecosystem. Uh, If I wanna have a global impact with technology, I really need to be in Silicon Valley. So that was lesson number one. Lesson number two uh, is the maximum I can hope to accomplish by being an entrepreneur in Canada, um, or being an entrepreneur for that matter, is make myself a billionaire. You just can't have a bigger dream than that. However, as a venture capitalist, I have the legitimate aspiration um, to identify, nurture, support, and invest in a thousand others, who each can impact a billion and make a billion. So the uh, the way to I guess have the maximum impact for every unit time was actually by being a VC, not being an entrepreneur. And that was kind of the genesis of Transform VC. Um, so I came here to um, Silicon Valley, San Francisco, uh, and the Valley. Just moved around the Bay Area, of course and that's our goal is to identify nurture and support a thousand tech founders who are going to each impact a billion make a billion and uh, that's how it all started
1: well as the saying goes you know the world's biggest problems are the world's biggest business opportunities Uh, and i really like uh, how you position the company and, and how you kind of transformed into that that role as a investor as opposed to someone who's building the operations at the company rama i'm curious to know what also drove you to transform vc tell us a little bit about your origins and how you uh, got involved with transform
3: yeah thank you so i i'm uh, a product of the first dot com and dot uh, bust i guess that came that followed uh made uh, a great start in my career with investing in a company that was taking um, data centers global And with that, I ended up moving to Dubai and running a fintech company at the start of that ecosystem in Dubai. Um, And then very quickly realized, you know, where I would like my impact to be is on the social and climate side. And so I set up um, the first business tech, uh, social business tech incubator in the region, in the Middle East, out of Dubai and ran that for 10 years, also co-founded the first female angel investment network in the region. And so I'm very deeply rooted in the impact both climate and social, and I have a background in tech, so naturally um, found Transform to be a great fit uh, and really liked the um, thesis that Rad had put in terms of what we uh, invest in.
1: And let's talk about that thesis, because that's what I'm always curious to chat about with investors. Like I feel like they all have this theory of change, and that's where they're going to dump their money into these investments that are going to grow, and maybe if they intentionally are setting out to solve these issues as they grow, as they scale, they're going to solve more of those problems. Rod, tell me a little bit about the theory of change, or this theory that you have, and also how it came to be.
2: Well, I'll start up by saying is a lot of uh, technologists and venture capitalists are aiming to transform this or that or the other, right? Yet there's never been a firm called Transform VC before this one, so which I I like to think is quite transformative in its own right. Uh, And uh, we believe that in order to generate outlier impact and outlier financial returns, a few things might uh, need to exist. So first, uh, and, and and these three things actually correspond uh, perfectly with our kind of uh, criteria as we evaluate opportunities. First is deep technology. We don't like things that are easily replicable, so we like things that involve hard, hardcore sciences or or AI or or just a lot of simple things. But so many of them, when you have to engineering them together, they don't become so simple. Um, you know, example of that is tonal and others. Um, second thing and is really the most important is what we call network effects. If you ask the question, who's number two after Facebook or who's number two after Airbnb? I personally don't know. I don't care. And the reason these companies have become the behemoths that they are is, is that they've got this compounding defensibility that makes them stronger as time goes by, and it's called the network effects. It means with every new user, every new node or every new product, the value of the solution or the system increases. Turns out there are 16 different types of network effects, and they're not all created equal. Some are much stronger than others. So, physical networks are the strongest. That's why companies like T Mobile, for example, can get away with not so great service. Very difficult for us to switch away. Um, and then you've got personal utility like WhatsApp or iMessage. Um, you know, you got a daily utility from that. So, if you were to stop using WhatsApp today, then you, know, you wouldn't be on this meeting, maybe. However, Facebook, which is a personal network, not a personal utility, you can leave Facebook for six months. Your life wouldn't be impacted. But if ever you want to go back, there's nowhere else to go except Facebook. And we're students of this field. And uh, it's a really core thesis of ours is the network effects. The third thing is what we call that 10x advantage. If your product or solution is simply not 10 times better uh, than anything else, people will not leave what they have to come and use you. Now, of course, 10 times better can, sometimes can be very quantitative, easy, faster, cheaper, or it could be qualitative, just makes, you happy, makes your customers happier or, or, or it's kind of in retrospect, people are leaving what they have to come to you. So you must be 10 times better. And that happens frequently enough. And like I said earlier, we, we believe that the social impacting world has existed for a while, but it had always centered around sustainable outcomes. It's as if you're telling the social entrepreneur, please be sustainable so I don't need to give you any more money. On the other side, technology investing has always focused around outlier impact, outlier uh, financial results, with little regard to the social or or uh, impact that results from that. We believe there's a place in the middle where we can generate outlier financial returns and outlier social imp- and climate impact or impact at large. And that's the category where we want to uh, play and win. And we think uh, we're well on our way. We Six of our companies have, have reached the... Um, uh, the the status of a unicorn valued over a billion dollars and you know hopefully more to come
1: and, and rama help us understand what that middle looks like the category a few of the companies that reach this unicorn uh, status as raj just mentioned what are these companies on both the financial returns but also on the impact side
3: yeah so what we um first look at impact with the founder and their long-term vision and how they're going to have that impact on society or what exactly are they looking to transform in um, the climate uh, field and you know one example is of a company tonal which is a home um, ai driven gym effectively it brings a uh, trainer into every home so it's doing it more economically it's a lot more focused than if you were to go to the gym uh, and very personalized because the weights are responding to your ability um, because they're AI driven. It's making health more accessible. It is reducing the amount of uh, potential uh, visits to the doctors or the hospitals more uh, you know, because of emergencies. So they look at that way of impacting national health. And they're a phenomenal success because... Um, they have uh, 99 point, is it eight or seven retention rate uh, of their, uh, of their um, um, membership sub- subscribers, and they've already reached an over two billion dollar valuation.:
1: It's incredible. Ryan, did and,
3: you? Right.:
1: to... It's incredible. And, and you know, Ryan, I, I was curious to kind of really dive into the impact side first of this. Um, because you know, there's a few metrics in there that's like, okay, well, should, absolutely, they're reducing doctor visits. Uh, healthy workout machines, incredible. It's it's new, the state of the yard. People can don't have to pay for these gym memberships as well and get an, an incredible workout, improve their lives. Is that impact to you? I mean, if we kind of had that category of impact, I guess the question is, what is your category of, of impact and how you define it? Because you know, Apple. It reduces a lot of things too. It reduces, um, you know, your your time to, your efficiency. Let's say it reduces your trips to the hospital because you can go online now. Um, there's a lot of cool things that the iPhone brings to you. Uh, a dentist is could be considered an impact company because it reduces your infections, it cleans your teeth, it's hygiene. What is impact to you
2: specifically? I mean, that's great, and we, you know, we're building um, a community to help us um, think through that. Uh, how to best answer that question and you know rama plays a pivotal role in that in fact and i'll tell you one thing is uh you're right a dentist does create impact and you know but these are kind of i would call them incidental or or one-offs we when we talk about impact we care about and we you know as you saw from our kind of tagline is impact a billion something that can truly scale and and touch a billion people's lives or i mean and we say a billion but maybe it could be tens of millions or hundreds of millions or multi billions but the idea is that we touch many people's lives in a positive way and do so effectively economically profitably and and that's really um the kind of the overarching um message we want to we want to convey when when we say impact
1: and rama how about yourself since you're kind of spearheading this uh, definition
3: yeah thank you I I think one, with impact, the industry hasn't settled on a single unit of measure. But I think the criteria and the important part is um, have the intention of impact, put it down as a unit of measure, and then measure your bottom line with how much money you're making and what sort of impact you're having. And so that impact can vary from company to company, and it could be different indices. The other thing that we're concerned with, with impact, is um, the sustainability of that impact through the difficult financial cycles. And that's where the community comes in. If you are surrounded by the community of beneficiaries and those that have a stake in the business, they are likely going to guide you down the path, the middle path, and you're less likely to have reactionary um, measures to a drop in the market, but more thoughtful measures and more deliberate and calculated. So that's, I think the the second key thing about um, impact. And then the third is to really broaden our horizon. I mean, traditionally we used to think about impact that there's some remote area and you're saving some population from near disaster. But just like malnutrition, hunger uh, requires solving that problem. Uh, Obesity requires solving that problem. So we have problems right here in the States that aren't being solved proactively, that we are looking for founders who can analyze and fix on grand scale. So obesity is a very prime example, um, other kind of long-term ailments and diseases. So there are these things and we're saying local, solve for local first and then take global because you know, if you do it here and you do it right, you're gonna likely succeed when you're doing it elsewhere.
1: So yeah. Ron, I'd love for you to expand on what Ram is saying about this community, uh, helping support each other, guiding each other during a difficult time, such as a recession or these uh, market vol- volatility. Um, why is it so important for entrepreneurs running these organizations to have this community and how have they been able to steer um, these entrepreneurs, as Rama mentioned,
2: uh, t- to them at all. Yeah, I, I assume most of the listeners are YPO members. It, it, it took me it took me eleven years from my first startup until I became a YPO member, and and as soon as I joined, I discovered you know two things: one forum, uh, which was an extraordinary way to uh, to have a, um, a judgment free forum to speak with other colleagues and and exchange ideas and 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 also advice and so forth. And then of course the exchange uh i would like to and when i first started transform uh it, it was my initial vision to uh, to enable our founders to take or make use of tools such as exchange and forum but not have to wait 11 years like i did and of course now rama joined and, and has taken things to the next level which is hey not only technology but also community and we think that those are uh really the things that that can um, take a VC. What is a VC in general? We are kind of a middle person between um, advisors, providers of capital, corporations, experts, and entrepreneurs. And uh, typically, the, the classic way of engagement is everyone, we're a bottleneck. Everyone has to talk to us and then we talk to our advisor or other stakeholders on the other side. But by building a community, A, through technology and also having that kind of community, then people are able to communicate without us being that bottleneck in the middle. And that's kind of core to our uh, community building and, and, and our, our ability to scale our operations on our platform.
1: And, and Rama, just out of curiosity, like what are some of the challenges that you've experienced thus far throughout these uh, difficult, I guess the start of what seems to be a very difficult um, recession? What are some of the challenges that uh, many of these founders are experiencing and where are they talking about in this community?
3: Yeah, so I think uh, one is the metrics and how do we measure and measure sustainably throughout uh, the lifetime of the company, the startup. The second is um, how do we take some really tough decisions and find alternatives if there are any. I mean, just today I was reading an article about layoffs and how a lot of B Corps um, look at layoffs as the last and most kind of uh, distasteful option uh, to to a, a startup, whereas unfortunately, especially in the tech sector, we're seeing that happen a lot. So where is uh, a way that the community can, can drive that sustainability for the people within the company who are working and serving the company? So brainstorming with the founders, trying to find alternatives to doing massive layoffs, maybe even thinking through things ahead of time so that you never get to that. Uh, um, crossroads and in, in making that decision. That's one way of doing social impact internally to the organization. The others are if, if I am trying to solve for a challenge that is common within a certain community, the best people to help guide me are that community themselves. So we we are both partnered with nonprofits that are that have the insight and awareness of what those issues are. And with the universities within those communities that have done research and can um, give us kind of scientific evidence of the information. And with those two, we're basically expanding the R&D departments of our startups um, because the communities now are are doing the heavy lifting with them because they're also the beneficiaries of their technology.
1: It's it's very interesting to kind of hear, we, we also have a community here, so um, I understand that the philosophy of learning from the community, understanding and um, adapting from listening to your customers, I guess, or the people that you, your stakeholders that you work with, uh, Ryan. I, I was really curious to learn about just thinking about your community, that the investments that you've made and the ones that have grown and have taken on this unicorn effect. Is there a difference to you and your experience between the companies that have kind of escaped the the startup? fight fast to now become the unicorn like what's what's the key difference for for you
2: i think the key difference is time It usually takes time to get to that status and and with time comes you know growing pains and, and 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 uh scar tissue and all that um so i think really, it, I, I come back to our uh, execution, right? And then that goes back to our kind of investment philosophies. And we like to invest in what we call lines, not dots. So if I were to meet an entrepreneur for the first time, that we call that a dot. You know, That's our first encounter. If I met them a second time, that's the second dot. I can actually draw a line now between those two dots. If I met them a third time, I can draw a longer line. So uh, you'll find that you know, at Transform VC and other top VCs, we like to invest in lines, not in dots. And but that's also true not only of companies before we invest in them, but also after we've invested in them. How are they performing? How are they executing? How can we nurture them? And um, and then of course, maybe double down and invest in them once again. Until they, until they get to uh, where they need to go. Of course, uh, the role of a VC is not only nurture them by way of advice, but it, it could also mean things uh, like customer introductions or introductions to our network, our community of investors or thought leaders or experts or nonprofits or what have you that is relevant to their case. Uh, so I'll just say, again, I come back, I mean, there's so much to, to, um, to unpack here, but it just, it's time, uh, and when you're starting a startup, there are kind of two main priorities: don't run out of money and win the market. So, so long as those two things are in place, and you can have more time to to do what you need to do. And, and Rama, to you, what what builds trust
1: in a relationship? Let's talk about the lines that he's alluding to. What what
0: builds a good relationship to you?
3: Um, for sure, consistency. Um, having the thoughtfulness of. Uh, the the benefit that you're bringing to uh, the, the community that you're serving customers or, and the, your investors and other stakeholders. Um, the curiosity, when we see that consistent curiosity in a founder, it definitely brings trust because we know that they're always going to stay ahead of the curve and they're looking at how they will maintain an edge. And then a sense of collaboration. When we talk to a founder and say, oh, here's a recommendation, look at this company to work with, and they respond positively to that. So these check marks that we have on the values that we uh, put together that we felt we have and every founder that we invest in um, would have, uh, and then cross-reference that with a list of uh, uh, indicators that we measure the founder by their ability to assess the market and their uh, technology and the defensibility of that technology.
1: It's really interesting. And, and um, on the kind of the, the notion of what you're looking for in an entrepreneur, Raed, in your experience from all of the pitches that you've seen to you, what makes a good pitch? How does someone go from a, a no to a yes?
2: Also, a very loaded question. Uh, I think much of it. There are, I mean, let's go back to our kind of our criteria, right? We we look at th- three main areas uh, at that initial meeting. One is the team. Uh, do they have domain expertise? Uh, do they have a unique on uh, insight that others maybe don't have? Um, have they been thinking about this problem for a long time? How passionate are they about it? Do they as a as a result of a uh, personal pain that they've had in the past um their execution ability of course we need to see them multiple times to better refine our 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 perception of that so that's one thing the theme the second is uh, we call that market size and and impact is this whatever they're doing are they uh, are they opening a dentist's office great that's impactful but does it have gdp level impact no so we want to look at gdp level trillion dollar industries that you know that are uh, ripe for disruption or transformation or whatever you know word you'd like to use. And third is that defensibility, because as soon as anyone innovates and shows commercial success, there's gonna be a hundred copycats. So how do you win all or most of a market? You need that compounding defensibility. Like we said, network effects is is kind of the most important thing, but also that deep tech and that 10X advantage. If we can see two of those three, then we have enough to continue the diligence.
1: And, And Rama, correct me if I'm wrong, you've also been an entrepreneur Pitching VCs as well, and your experience like going through that process. What's important for the entrepreneurs listening to this who are preparing their decks right now, preparing to uh, raise capital? Uh, from your experience, what can you share with them?
3: Thank you. I think the first important thing is that it's a level playing field. But as much as you need to give the VCs, you also need to be ready with the questions that you have. Or is this the right VC for me? So that's uh, top on my list. The second is the, um, the the balance between selling and being honest with what sort of handholding and support you need. So you want to say, "Look, I'm confident, I'm capable, I can do all of this," but you also want to be able to highlight where you might need some support, uh, because that's what a VC can also bring uh, bring to to help you out. Um, and the last thing is, you know, the, just the obvious, uh, the looking at the criteria of that VC and understanding it and seeing if you're genuinely going to meet it so that you don't waste your time, which is really valuable, or the VC's time.
1: It certainly seems that values alignment um, is very key in a lot of the, the partnerships with any business, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. Radha, you know, one of the things you mentioned in terms of that alignment aspect you're looking for is the pain, is the suffering, is the things that people have gone through which is why they've created this company potentially in the first place talk a little bit about yourself for a moment what are some of the pains the difficulties the challenges that uh, affected you which maybe perhaps brought you to the position that
2: you are in today Uh, sure well i mean when i founded jaguar wireless um, it's a mobile operator in Hopeful, in, uh, in, in Canada, and the reason I did that is uh, I, uh, I just hated my phone bill. My cell bill was too high, and I felt like I was used and abused by our, and I had tried all providers at the time, Bell, Rogers, and TELUS, and then I helped a friend uh, start a mobile um, cell phone shop, and... Um, and in doing so, in helping him do so, I discovered that I was not alone in my pain and suffering. All Canadians have that similar pain and suffering, which led to my doing a, a little of of homework to this only to discover that you know the average Canadian uh, paid over $70 a month for the wireless bill when the average American paid $40. Um, our wireless penetration in Canada at the time was at 60% when wireless penetration else around the world was north of 100%. So this was a truly systematic issue that needed to be solved, and that was my driving motive. Is hey, how, how and, and and literally, I had to, uh, I had to Google how to start a cell phone company, <laughs> and I end up, you know, uh, resulting from that as I end up, you know, raising a, lot, a bunch of capital, going to the national spectrum auction, and, and bidding over two hundred million dollars for spectrum, and and really creating a dent um, in the in the Canadian telecom scene. And, and and contributing to the, to the nation positively. So that's a, a great example of, and I keep thinking of, had I not been so angry with my cell phone bill, I probably would not have done any of that.
1: And all well, right, one, thanks for sharing. It's a really interesting story. And, and, and two, you know, Rama, I'm really curious about, you know, the mental health of a lot of the entrepreneurs that are currently raising capital right now and what they're going through. To be in a position that you and Ryan are in right now, you guys have had to overcome a lot. You don't just get to be in this position just by knowing somebody. You've gone through the trenches, you've overcome adversity, you've built your own businesses, you can speak from experience. Now, right now, there's a lot of entrepreneurs who have taken this chance, taken this risk. I'm sure they love what they do, but let's just face it, you know, not that many companies, you know, get to profitability, can become successful and, you know, we're also human beings at the end of the day, speaking with a lot of the entrepreneurs potentially in your community, what are some things that they're going through right now like help help me understand the mindset
3: of of an entrepreneur so one one part is uh, I've heard more than one entrepreneur talk about imposter syndrome. They really feel like they're an imposter in this space, not because they don't have the capability or the um the great idea or the technology but they're embarking on something new setting up a business they're not familiar with it and so they somehow feel like they have a disadvantage if they haven't been a serial entrepreneur and they want to cover that up instead of try and optimize you know i'm in a learning journey and i can get a lot out of this and be excited about it they're almost like hi oh, how do i kind of cover this or uh, package it or compartmentalize it so that's one the second is the challenge of um, the, the market and the climate and the messages that they're getting from from the market is very defeating because they're being told that money is scarce there are less uh, vcs that are spending and and so you've just spent your last year or two doing research or development on a product. And now the doors are closing for no fault of your own. Or It's a really tough position to be in. And and so that can depress some people, can make it hard for some others to, to continue. Uh, and so really resilience. Um, and what you said at the beginning of our call, have fun, is to think about this is part of my life. I need to have fun. And there is a power of attraction. If you're in a good space, mental space and physical space, you're likely gonna attract that VC that still has money and can still invest in you and is the right one fit for you. But if you're gonna walk into this feeling all like, I'm nervous and I don't know what I'm doing, then that's probably what you, you know, no matter how great your idea is that you, you'll project that sense of lack of confidence or insecurity. So, So those are the same things. And I think the last thing I would mention is, they, many of them forget that there's an opportunity for a VC to be nurturing as well as giving money. So we're not just here to hand out checks. We're here to also support you on your journey and mentor you. And that's a great opportunity for them um, that many of them aren't aware or don't think about it.
1: It's really interesting, Raman. Thanks for sharing. I, it's um It's hard for a lot of folks on the outside, including myself, to really get to experience what what that's like. So I appreciate you being very descriptive in your answer. Riot, I, I was curious just based on what Rama was saying like in the in your experience what are some of those key attributes or qualitative features that the most successful entrepreneurs have that you know here's a level 4 but this is what makes a level 5
2: great well i'll talk about the level four first because because uh level four is i mean uh, the hard work right being frugal resourceful being able to get a lot done and very little um, you know we we always say it's um wastefulness scales really well I give you a 100 bucks you waste it so quickly well guess what if i give you a 100 million you're gonna waste it even faster so um that's why we, we we do pay attention to those things. Do founders do the things they say they're gonna do? Do they show up on time? Do they over tip at restaurants? All these are kind of little cues that add up. But say you're doing all of this right. I always say that's not enough. You always have to get lucky. That's the number five. And how do you maximize the chances of getting lucky? You gotta work damn hard. It's, I think there's a, Vinod there's a, you know, Khosla once said, how do you become successful? You got to do all the right things for years until you're the moment that you get lucky. So you can seize that opportunity. So we, um, and, and we believe obviously by, by associating with the best, by, by inspiring, being inspired, by being in the right location, um, you're going to attract and be attracted to, the, to luck you know, it could be a network or otherwise, hopefully manifest itself in success.
1: It's a great answer. And and Ram, I'd go back to what you were saying about time and consistency. Where were you in your stage of growth when you got to realize, hey, you know, patience is a big part of this too. Like, where were you in your stage when you realize, you know, it's going to take a long time and I've got to think long term about my investments?
3: Um, I think every stage of life, uh, for sure. But I remember as early as my twenties in um, I was a young mother. And so parenthood taught me patience and long-term investment. Cause I knew that I'm in it for the next 17 years or 18 years until they actually go out the door and, and be independent. And so that, you know, I think I'm, I, and a lot of, uh, you know, parents that are very involved are at an are at an advantage because they've been through that uh, patient cycle. But um, the I think with the very first startup, I realized, um, and that was when you know, I was again in my late twenties, that this pounding the pavement is what really gets to to where you want to be. And this idea that the no, 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 and then the yes happens is important. But but I, let me bring it to this year. I mean. One thing I've found is you have to keep practicing your values. So this year, um, in December, I came across a book that um, uh, an old friend had written about uh, meeting someone. Actually, it was a TED talk, and it's based on a book she's written about meeting someone every day. Her name is Pat Hidley, and um, you, I, I don't know why, but I, I hadn't put it as an intention myself that you know part of it is just meeting someone every day that's how you learn i was thinking of ted talks every day reading every day but this idea of i want to actually go out and meet someone new every day that's huge for an entrepreneur because that just opens up so many doors and so many opportunities and it's also huge for us so that's yeah a long answer to your short question
1: it's a great answer and it actually reminded me of rod when i asked you months ago now like what embodies a lot of your Entrepreneurs. I remember you saying these two things. You said they're overlooked and they're underrepresented. These are some of the qualities of kind of what re- represents a lot of those entrepreneurs. And thinking about those individuals and what Rama just said, when it comes to leadership, practicing your values, uh, being very intentional about your meetings, meeting new people every single day, what are some of those core leadership attributes you might be looking for in a new? entrepreneur
2: you know it's always said for um for a startup to be successful you need three kind of personas and either in one founder or three founders that exhibit these personas you need a hustler you need a hacker and you need a programmer (laughs) nice but um so it's typically um uh, uh, you'll find that you constantly need to talk to people build relationships get ideas exchange ideas uh so the hustler um the hacker is the um is the guy who's building he's he's hacking the systems he's uh, you know building the system actually and the third is a designer uh someone who's going to make it look good for the world to see and consume so i uh, would like to think that those 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 are some of the the things that a founder should try to uh, work on themselves to to improve i mean i i for myself i still go and do um toastmasters or i do uh, improv lessons because i i had to speak in front of 500 people once and unlike my esteemed partner rama i i still get uh, you know butterflies in my stomach when i do that so i figured hey well how can i just tackle this head on and and someone said well try toastmasters and i did it was fabulous and then some other person said try improv and I'm like i don't want to be a comedian like you don't have to you just go and, and practice and you and sure enough i've been doing those things now and and a i meet more people so i'm intentional about meeting new people but also it's owning a skill that's not only fun but it's also very necessary in and in, in kind of the professional side of things
1: it's interesting. It's great to hear you still continue to challenge yourself, and I would hope that more people listening to this would continue to strive to learn new things, um, get introduced to new perspectives, not just work you know, in their house or in their cubicle or wherever else, every single day by day. Go out, explore, get new perspectives. Um, Rama, I'm curious uh, to learn a little bit more about um, the leadership of these young professionals, and in your experience, where's the future of business going? When you think about today's leaders and where we are in this state of the world, there's a lot of civil unrest, there's a lot of uprise, there's a lot of challenges, like there's always been, of course. But when people think of today's CEOs, they maybe have this old misconception. Now working in your space, you get introduced to a lot of young, inspiring, and and also um, maybe not so young, but young as a company, inspiring leaders. What do you think the differences between today's leaders versus the leaders of the future
3: so i think an analogy to what raed was saying uh he said that the company needs a hacker a programmer and a hustler for me it's you need the mind the body and the heart and what i'm seeing with a lot of younger people is a lot more heart and also uh at a leadership level a feminine and masculine way of thinking integrated uh which i believe uh helps solve all the world's problems uh and and brings us also closer to nature and figuring out how to solve nature's problems so i think you know more human in the organizations uh is definitely uh, the way the trajectory that i'm seeing so we're saying okay look now technology has reached a point where it can solve a lot of our problems so now we want to be more human and think more about ourselves as one with nature and how we can heal ourselves and heal nature and have that balance because the technology is doing the heavy lifting, we can do the softer parts of the business and how to run it and grow it in a very graceful and sustainable way. And that seems to be a, a trend that's ever growing at least in my, in my preview.
1: I couldn't agree more. And, and Riot, in all of this, let's bring this home.
2: What is your definition? Of a real leader, mm, fantastic. It's uh, a real leader is someone that is um, does what he say and say what uh, what they do, and is always leading by example. In Ramati, what is your definition of a real leader?
3: Um, someone who's there to serve. I believe in servant leadership.
1: Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been a pleasure having you on. I think we hit our three rules today. I certainly had fun, and had a great time. Um Harai, Ed, Nirama, and Kevin Ellis asking you to go out there. Lead by example. Serve others and always, folks, keep it real. Thank you. Thank
3: you.
1: Hey leaders! thanks again for listening to this amazing episode and if you're someone like me who goes all the way to the end just to make sure I can extract as much information, education, and inspiration out of every single interview, might I suggest you check out our magazine. If you go online to Releaders.com today, you're going to get the first 30 days for free where you're going to be able to access all of our magazines courses, and live events from some of the top thought leaders around the world. All you have to do is go online to realleaders.com and click the subscribe button in the top right corner to get your free 30-day trial right now. Again, that's real-leaders.com. Thanks again for being a real leader and always keep it real.